Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 96 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Remission is Not a Cure, an interview with Amber Nadine. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Amber Nadine. Amber Nadine is a singer-songwriter from Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. Ms. Nadine was 16 years old when she first started experiencing the symptoms of a tick disease. She found a tick biting her on her ribcage and soon started experiencing a fever, a rash, and severe pain, which eventually spread all over her body. Soon, Ms. Nadine couldn't breathe and scheduled an appointment with an on-call doctor at her primary care physician's office. She saw that doctor and they immediately knew that she had Lyme disease. She was sent to the emergency room to be tested for Lyme disease. She had to be taken to the ER in a wheelchair because just days after her initial bite, she could not walk. Her ER Lyme disease test came back positive and she was put on doxycycline for 28 days. She was then referred to a homeopathic doctor whom Ms. Ward credits with saving her life. Eventually, Ms. Ward did achieve remission, but unfortunately, she has been reinfected and has relapsed. Now, Ms. Ward dedicates her time to helping and inspiring other Limeys who are facing similar battles through her career as a singer and songwriter. Hey, Amber Nadine, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really blessed to have you. So, Amber, can you share with us uh, where you're from? Yes, uh, I am from Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. It's a little town about five minutes from Hershey. And how old are you? I'm 23. And do you live at home with your parents or do you live on your own? I live with my parents at home. And tell us what uh, your Lyme journey has been like, meaning when did you first start to show the symptoms of a tick disease? So um, in June of 2013 was about when I started to first show symptoms. Okay, and how um, old were you at that time? I was 16. And where were you living when you were 16? Still here with my parents. And what kinds of things were you pursuing at that stage in your life? Meaning what goals had you set for yourself and how were you pursuing those goals? Um, oh gosh, okay, so hold on. Let me think about that for a minute. I think at that point I was focused on a lot of different things. Um, I was heavy into dance. I did, um, at that point I was doing dance, I think, five or six days a week, I would do ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop. Um, but I think my biggest goal back then was I, I always wanted to be an actress on film and TV. And um, I was trying to find ways to get there, but I hadn't quite figured it out yet. Um, because in this area, there's not much to do for film and television. And I didn't really research beyond Pennsylvania because I didn't really want to have to leave my home in order to go pursue that. So um, I mostly just did theater. I, I was in the, the community theater realm for like 12 years of my life. Now, so, how, how were you, you planning to pursue this dream of becoming an actress on film and TV at that stage in your life? I'll be honest, I don't remember. I, I think I just kept thinking, you know, the more acting that I do in theater, maybe it'll cross over and I'll end up making a connection with someone in the industry and I'll be able to like walk cross over into film and television. But I was always reading books and trying to figure out different ways to do those things. So, um, kind of. 
were you planning to go to a particular college or you or you a particular type of a trade school where you would develop these skills and ultimately meet people in the industry or were you just working in the community film arena or the community theater arena trying to develop your context and your skill set I honestly hadn't thought that far ahead when it came to college because um I mean I was homeschooled and everybody was always putting me down for you know, not having a decent education or from working at home, you know, all that kinds of stereotypes that people think about for homeschooled children. And um, I, in order to prove myself back then, my goal was to get at least accepted into Harvard. I wasn't going to go to Harvard. I just wanted to get accepted to prove to everybody that I could do it. And um, that lasted for like two months. And then I was like, yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> so... Now you're 16 years old and you begin to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease. Mm -hmm. How did the tick disease interfere with the goals that you were pursuing? It completely stopped my life because um, it was very drastic when it first hit. I was, I was anorexic at the time actually. And um, I was, I think 96 pounds and I'm five foot seven. So for me to have been attacked on top of that with some, with this tick disease, it kind of like just made me unable to do anything. I couldn't, I remember having trouble walking from my couch to the bathroom and my mom having to like help me. So it stopped me from being able to stand and dance and do all the physical activity that I was doing. And um, it really took a toll on me in that aspect. Now, Amber, you're, you're living in Pennsylvania at the time, as you are now. And we mm -hmm. all, everyone in the tick disease community knows that uh, Pennsylvania is, is known for um, a really bad thing. And that is the highest rate of Lyme disease in the country. Yeah. How do you know that the bite that you received when you were 16 was, in fact, the first bite and wasn't just a reinfection and that your anorexia wasn't in fact the symptom of a tick disease? Well, I actually don't, um, but my, my doctor assumes and that I was infected prior to that, and that was what caused the anorexia. But I will tell you that I was always a very happy person, and I was always very like bubbly and full of life, and, um, for me to get anorexia, it does seem sort of out of the norm. But the reason I attributed it to me getting it back then was because I was bullied so much for being homeschooled and not fitting in and people thinking that I was this weirdo that just sat at home all day and did nothing. But um, then when I got infected for the first time that I actually knew of it, with the Lyme disease, I actually saw the bullseye and the, the bite, which I had thought was a pimple at the time. I didn't know what it was, but it hurt really, really bad compared to any other pimple that I'd ever had. So I don't, yeah. <laughs> so, so Amber, what did you know about ticks and tick diseases at the moment that you saw the bullseye rash when you were 16 years old? I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't even know that Lyme disease existed. I, I had no clue what it was. 
And um, when I was actually first diagnosed with it, my mom and I were like, well, what is this? We, we both instantly were, what, were like, well, what is Lyme disease? And we started researching it and found out that it actually kind of related to a lot of my symptoms. So let's, let's talk about how things progressed um, after you saw the bullseye rash. I'm assuming you went to a doctor and you went to the doctor and what did the doctor do and what did the doctor say that brought you to your Lyme diagnosis? Okay. So um, when I first found the bullseye, we had ended up, we, we went to the doctor and they, they automatically treated me for, and I can't remember what exactly it was. My mom says it's one thing, I say it's another thing, but because of my brain fog and my brain not remembering things right from that time, um, I can't tell which one is which anymore, but it was either a spider bite or a, just a regular bug bite that they treated me for. And they gave me Bactrim at the time and told me to go home and to take that and see how that worked. And like instantly, as I was taking it, it, it just got worse. I had a rash on my body and it was like, so you know how you get the bullseye and you have it? It was like I had thousands of them growing all over my body. And I could, I was literally watching them grow and appear everywhere. So, so you had the classic bullseye rash. You go yeah. to a medical professional, you visit with a doctor, mm -hmm. and they do not diagnose you at that time with Lyme disease or a tick disease. They diagnose you with something else. Yes. And they give you a medication that doesn't do anything for the symptoms. The symptoms continue to develop. Do you go back to the doctor and ultimately get a Lyme diagnosis? How did you ultimately get from the first bullseye rash, which brought you to the doctor, to ultimately getting your diagnosis? Okay. So I went back, I think it was approximately two days later because the symptoms just kept getting worse and it was getting more and more serious. And my mom had actually texted or called her sister who had had a bug bite that was bad that had, she had been treated for too and was like, hey, you know, they treated Amber for a bug bite. You know, did you have these symptoms? And she was like, oh my gosh, no, that sounds so much worse than what I had. You need to get her back in to see a doctor again. So we went back in and... Actually, maybe we didn't go back in because we called them and it was a weekend. Yeah, it was a Saturday. So we called them and of course there was nobody in the office then. And um, the, the doctor was like, well, what do you want me to do? And my mom was like, well, I'd like you to see my daughter. And she said, okay, well, I can't come in today, but I'll bring her in tomorrow. And that night, was terrifying because I was having trouble breathing. I can remember laying on the couch thinking, you know, this is how I'm going to die. I'm just going to like, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to stop breathing because I can't breathe now. If I try to go to sleep, I'm going to not be able to focus on breathing. Like I literally had to consciously focus on breathing in order to get air inside of me. So when did you 
when did you next see a doctor? Did you advocate to, for yourself to your mother or to anyone else when you're in that situation where you think you may not even survive the night? Yeah, my mom and I were crying to each other. We were, we were, because we were, we were like, she was laying with me and we were like, you know, what if, what if we don't, like, what if I don't see tomorrow? <laughs> you know, I'm 16 years old. I'm like wasting away. Like we already were concerned with the anorexia that it was going to do something terrible. But on top of the anorexia to get this, it's like, you don't, you don't see it coming. It kind of like just hits you out of left field. But um, I did make it through that night, thankfully. And um, the next day when I went into the office, the doctor took one look at me and she was like, I think she has Lyme disease. I'm going to tell you to take her straight to the ER and um, I'm going to have an extensive test done for her. So we literally got back in our car, drove straight to the ER, and my mom got me out and put me in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk. I, I was so weak, I couldn't walk. And um, she wheeled me into the ER, and they took... My, my aunt tells me that it's a blood culture. I'm not sure of the technical term for it, um, but they took about seven soda bottles full of blood from me that day. And um, I think it was within a few hours, they had called us and they were like, oh yeah, she definitely has Lyme disease, so. So now let's, let's walk back for a minute about how quickly your symptoms were developing. Now that you have some time to reflect on the, the speed at which the symptoms were developing, do you believe that you were not in fact suffering from anorexia? but that you had a compromised immune system that when you had suffered the reinfection from the second tick bite, it allowed the symptoms to take off very aggressively because you didn't have an immune system that could defend against the reinfection. I'm, I, I'm definitely sure that that could highly be a possibility, yes. Because I was definitely at a very weakened state. I wasn't, you know, I would eat maybe one meal a day and when I say meal, it would be like a pack of cashews or eggs, you know? And then, um, so when your body is that, that weak and that like fragile, of course, if you get hit with something else, it's going to totally destroy you. So now you go to the emergency room, they take the blood, which results in a positive Lyme diagnosis. How... Are you now all reacting to this? How is your mom reacting to this? How is your family reacting to it? And how are you reacting to it? I, th I think that from what I remember, it was like, oh, great. We actually have a diagnosis. We can start treating it now, which means this is going to be like a cold or a really bad sore throat, you know, or a really bad stomach flu. And we're going to treat it and we're going to get through it. And I'm going to go back to living my life and being a normal, typical teenage girl. That's what I think we both were like, oh my gosh, yes, we have a diagnosis. We're going to fix this. So what, how did your family react to this uh, disease that you were diagnosed with coming from ticks? It's a good question. Um, I know that my, my mom, like I said, I don't remember a lot of it because of my brain. 
and all of the, like everything that was going on, I feel like I blocked out probably 90% of the process. And I only remember things that I'm told, you know, I, I remember bits and pieces of it, but it's like watching a movie of somebody else's life and not mine. But, um, I can tell you that my mom has always been one of those people that she's, she doesn't give up when somebody gets sick, she researches it to no end until we can figure out a way to make it better. So I'm sure that she was researching and my dad was probably just like, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know? So now as your symptoms were developing, what impact was this now having on the pursuit of your dreams? Right? You, you shared with me a minute ago that, um, you know, everything shut down and you were no longer participating in any of your, um, your dance or your theatrical pursuits. How did, that, how did that go over the course of the next couple of years when you're going through this, this journey? It didn't stop me. <laughs> I was a very determined person. So, I mean, it stopped me for like that week. And thankfully that week was like the week after like it had ended for the season. Like the dance was, um, we had just, got done doing our entire week of, you know, tech rehearsals. And then we did our shows that weekend. And then that entire week afterwards, that's how I'm thinking I got reinfected is because I sat around like a lazy slob and didn't take a shower. I probably got a tick on me and that's how it happened. But um, no, and then it, I would have gone that summer without dancing and then started back up in the fall, which is what I did thankfully, because I had had that time period to like, get partially better, but I still was not even close to being back to my full 100% by the time fall hit. So but, what, what type of treatment did the emergency room give to you after they gave you the positive diagnosis for Lyme disease? I was um, prescribed with doxycycline for 28 days. And the reason I was prescribed with doxycycline was because I'm allergic to to um, amoxicillin. And they were going to give me amoxicillin, but I was like, no, I can't do that. So they put me on doxycycline for 28 days. And instantly, like within 20, 12, 12 hours, I would say, we started to see um, a difference. We started to see my rash clear up. You know, I started to feel a little bit better. I wasn't as, you know, week I was starting to breathe a little bit better and um it was at the time a, a miracle so that's another reason I think that we were both like okay this is gonna work you know we're gonna get through this and um then after the 28 days had ended I was better but I was still in a lot of severe pain so we contacted the doctor and they were like, okay, well, we'll put you on it for 28 more days. So they gave me another prescription for doxycycline for 28 more days. And I think I was only on it for like two days before I started getting symptoms of bumps on my hands and my toes and they were itching and I started feeling like I had lava in my veins. That was my way of describing it because it felt like it was just like burning inside of me. And my arm had swollen up and I, apparently that was an allergic reaction to the doxycycline. So they, we called the doctor and they said, okay, well, as for pills, 
that's all that we can do for you. Like it's either amoxicillin or doxycycline. The next option would be to insert a PICC line. And at that point, I'm like thinking, okay, that sounds terrifying. I do not want to do that. Um, I was the girl that was terrified of needles. And for me to actually take, do the blood test was excruciating. So when they started talking about a PICC line, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a leap of faith here. I'm going to opt out of treatment and I'm just going to see if over time it gets better. So then two months went by and I, it was the worst two months of my life. Let me tell you, because it was all bad timing. My dad was building a garage right outside my window and at like six in the morning on the dot, construction would begin and I had been up in pain all night and at six in the morning was when I was just starting to fall asleep. So I would wake up to the sound of construction like an hour later and I would just be like, oh my gosh, why? But um, no, then when August hit, I went and I, it was time for me to audition for the next play at the community theater that I worked with. And I was talking with one of my friends about how much pain I was in. And my mom was there like kind of explaining for me because I'm like dead on the floor, like from exhaustion and pain. And my mom was talking to our friend about this and she's like, well, we have a natural homeopathic doctor who specializes in Lyme disease. I'll give you his contact information. And we were like, what? really? That would be awesome. So she gave us his information and we contacted him. And I don't remember how long it was. It probably wasn't long before we set up an, a, a consultation with him. And we went in and he instantly was like making perfect sense with what he was describing about how Lyme disease works and, you know, what happens inside your bloodstream. We actually like started making a connection with him, whereas we hadn't as much with the other doctors. And he seemed like he truly cared about me and my well-being. And that was just amazing to have that sort of compassion at this point when all I had felt was pain and all I had felt was exhaustion. And um, I mean, when, you're, when your body looks healthy too, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you, you can't be in that much pain. You look fine, you know? So I had been going through that too. And I still go through that. I'd go, I've, I go through that every day. People are like, you're not in pain. You're 23 years old. That's, so, stop. You're, you're younger than me. You're at your prime. It's like, no, I, I'm not. I, I, I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> but so Amber, looking back, if you yeah. had to provide advice to others that are now in the journey you were in at that point, would you recommend that they see a naturopathic or a homeopathic doctor right away? Because those Absolutely. doctors are much more effective. And do you think that's because they take a whole body approach and they don't look at you as, as you know, different systems and it's a neurological or a heart, you know, a heart issue or a lung issue They take a whole body approach and, and, and try to find the root cause and, and actually treat you and not just treat the symptoms? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. And I, 
I truly think that if I'd have found him before going on the doxycycline, if I'd have found him when all of this started, I probably, I believe that I'd be healed by now. And what other symptoms, Amber, were you experiencing? You mentioned that you had some breathing problems, debilitating pain and fatigue and, and brain fog. But what other symptoms developed over that summer leading up to August when you saw that, that natural doctor? Extremely high sensitivity to, you know, touch, sound. Um, that's, that's why it was so bad for me because I would be up all night long hearing the crickets. The crickets drove me insane. That was like something that's like nails on a chalkboard when you have that height of sensitivity. And then in the morning, whenever the bulldozer would start or whatever the machine was that would like beep, that's when, you know, you get that headache from it. And it's like, it's like a dog hearing a dog whistle, you know, but um, that, that was one of my bigger symptoms. And then when I say sensitivity to touch, literally, especially that first week, I had a... I don't remember what they called it, but it was a sensitive skin elevation of some sort where nobody could touch me. My mom brushed my hair like out of my, away from my neck one day to look at my rash. And I screamed and started crying in pain because she gently touched my neck. So that is something that still to this day, I can't have people do. I can't have people touch my neck. Um, I mean, it's not like, I'm okay with hugs and stuff like that, but I can't like have them try to give me a shoulder massage or things like that. It just, it's, it's not pleasurable. It's painful. <laughs> Amber, how did, how did your anorexia overlap with the symptoms that you now know were caused by Lyme disease? You had the anorexia before these Lyme symptoms presented. Did the anorexia worsen, get better? Did it, did it fade into the background? Uh, you know, how did that impact you with, with your Lyme journey? I had the anorexia was kind of separate on on itself because I had to actually fight hard for it. I was really into it mentally. And, um, I right around that time. Okay. So June, June was when I got infected with the Lyme disease that we know of. And then April, which was two months before that, was the when I decided that I was going to take the step to recovery. And I had been going to a couple of clinics at that point and um, specifically for anorexia. And none of the clinics actually seemed like they were going to help me. They seemed like it was kind of just going to be one of those things where it's like, okay, well, we're just going to feed you a bunch of food. And then in three months, you're going to be back to your, you're going to be weight restored. And then we're going to set you free sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. So the way I ended up recovering, which, you know, it's different for everybody. I don't recommend it unless you know how to watch things. But the way I recovered was I had my mom basically feed me and help me recover. And I was like, will you help me through this? And that that continued for us for the next two years until I was weight, weight restored. Do you believe that the addressing of the anorexia while your Lyme symptoms were progressing helped you not get to a even lower point with your health? Hmm. I never thought about that. Um, I mean, I suppose so. 
but I can tell you that it was just a constant stream of new symptoms that would show up. And I don't know if it was either just the Lyme disease or if it was the anorexia or if it was a combination of both. It was definitely a interesting road. And it's hard to say, but do you believe that the anorexia is connected to Lyme and that you had an earlier tick bite that caused your anorexia or you're just still uncertain about the, the correlation of the two? I'm still uncertain about it, but I do believe that it's a huge possibility. And thinking back about your brain fog, because you mentioned that you had a hard time remembering things at the time and you still have a hard time remembering things. Is there anything that you did that helped with your brain fog? So when you slept better, was it better the next day or anything you did that you can recommend to our listeners to help with brain fog, which is a very, very common symptom of Lyme disease? Sleep definitely helps. Um, I can tell you that for me personally, and not in that time, but now, um, just breathing and focusing on the moment and like focusing on what I'm doing right now. I am talking to you guys on a podcast. I am sitting here drinking tea while I'm talking to you guys on the podcast. Focusing on that and fo living in the moment helps me to be able to be more present and to remember in the future this moment. So the more I can focus, the easier it is. So that's great advice. Basically live in the moment and don't mm -hmm. preoccupy your mind with the past or the future. And then you'll be better to be able to remember those moments as you move forward. It sounds like. Correct. Yeah. And that's something that I struggle with every single day. Like even my friends, they'll be talking to me and we'll have a conversation about the conversation that we had two days ago. And I'll be like, well, I don't remember that. So it's touch and go. Some things are really well in my brain and some things are just like not even there. So now going back to when you, in August, when you finally found this natural doctor, you mentioned that it was a totally different experience and that they explained to you what it was like to have Lyme and what it does to your body. So what was the first steps? What was the outcome of that first meeting with your doctor to now address the symptoms that were lingering for the past several months? I don't remember. You know, it's, it's terrible, but I, I remember going there and I remember him being like, okay, you know, I remember crawling into his office. I can tell you that I couldn't like get into his office without very well at all. But, um, I remember him being like, okay, yeah, you definitely look sick. <laughs> We're going to get you feeling better. Don't worry. You know, he had like all of this positivity inside of him, which really helped. And, um, He's Christian too, which is nice because, you know, I, I don't ever like, I don't care about people's religious beliefs. I don't try and force my opinion, but I'm Christian too. And it's so nice to have that connection and to be able to know that he believes that God can help me. I believe that God can help me together. We can work together and move forward and keep believing in that. But, um, no, I just remember him saying, okay, I want you to take this. And he would give me, he gave me, um, he tested me, of course. He did like several different tests and he gave me his homeopathic remedy. And uh, I was on that, it, it was, it's a liquid dropper thing. So I was on three droppers full a day, I think in the beginning. And I just remember instantly being like, wow, 
you instantly, I instantly felt a difference as soon as I took it because I could, I don't necessarily know even how to explain it. It's just like this feeling washes over you of like a, like poured water through your veins and it's cleaned all the toxins out, you know? <laughs> yes. Now, so this was a homeopathic tincture of, of herbs, it sounds like. So this was a, a homemade remedy by your naturopathic doctor for, for you to heal and, and allow your body to fight back rather than relying on medicine that's, that's making you even sicker. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was really nice, but don't get me wrong because of it being so severe, it was, and still is a very hectic journey. So whenever I take that, if I take it and I have so much Lyme die off inside of my body at once, and it's too much for my body to detox at a shot, if I have that Lyme die off laying inside of me, then I start to hurt. And then I have to go off of it to stop killing the bacteria for a little bit to let myself detox before I can continue. So that's a really important part of Lyme that many people don't understand until they get into the weeds with it. But when you kill off the Lyme bacteria too quickly, your body becomes toxic and you feel even worse. And you have to let your body eliminate those toxins before you can continue on with treatment. Now, when you hit those moments, did, does your naturopathic doctor recommend you do anything to detox quicker, uh, any sort of supplements or even potentially herbal teas or to do anything to help alleviate your symptoms and expedite the detox process? Uh, he never talked about detoxing. He always just said, you know, if you start to feel symptoms and you start to herx, he said, just go off of it for a day, try it again the next day if you're feeling okay. If you're not feeling okay, stay off of it. And... Um, he, he, I, I take a lot of Epsom salt baths. So that's really nice too. When I'm in pain, that really helps me to like take the edge off of the pain. And that's actually excellent detox mode, meaning Epsom salt baths are a way to detox the toxins from your body. So that's an excellent technique used by many of our guests that we've, we've spoken to, but you did hit on something earlier that you know, you're, you're, you're a Christian and your faith has helped you get through this and you believe your faith can help you recover, which clearly it has. I mean, you've come a long way and we'll get to that. But I know personally, I, I tell Rich all the time and all my friends that I don't know how I would have gotten through my Lyme journey without my faith and my belief in a higher being and believing in God. So can you talk a little bit about the emotional and psychological impact, the mental health impact and how your faith helped you overcome that part of your journey? Yeah, well, my, my faith has always helped me with everything because, like, if it weren't for God, I would not be the positive person that I am because there were some extremely dark moments that I remember, and regardless of whether it was a part of the anorexia or the Lyme disease, I can remember, like, having night terrors, and there was one dream in particular that I remember that I thought that I was awake and I was kind of like just paralyzed in my bed and I couldn't move. And that's a terrifying feeling. Um, so, I mean, God is always there. And I think that even for people that don't believe, if you have joy in your life, you have God and you don't even realize it. And that's okay. You know, you don't have to believe in order to have him there with you. So, so that, and that, that's, that's really an important part that many people don't like to speak about and are sort of embarrassed. And I can tell you, you know, I've had very difficult moments with, with the emotional component of Lyme because your life 
is different, you know, especially when you're in, in your worst. So would you say that you had some bad parts of your life as far as your psychological health and that your, you know, your faith helped you overcome those moments and that, you know, potentially Lyme caused those psychological effects, potentially uh, thoughts of that, that would indicate depression or maybe some, some anxiety and things along those lines. Oh, definitely. I, I had high anxiety. I was, um, I was very close to committing suicide at a couple points and it, it just, yeah. And we at the time attributed that all to the anorexia because I was at such a low point in my life. I wasn't happy. I was so lost in darkness, you know, that that was all that I could see. And my mom and I, we have this this method that she had heard from someone years and years before I was born that you have this quarter and that quarter is your problem. And you've got this quarter held up to your eye and the other eye is squeezed shut and that's all you can see. And that was exactly who I was and what, what I was in the middle of my anorexia and my Lyme disease. I, that's all I could see was I had both eyes covered with quarters, you know? Um, and I remember feeling bad a, a lot of times because especially my, both of my grandfathers passed away during this time. And, um, I was, I can remember making it more about me and my situation than actually them. And looking back on that, I feel horrible because of what I was going through. I couldn't see what they were going through. So. So now moving forward to when you first started taking these, these tinctures from your natural doctor, you mentioned that you within 12 hours started to feel better. And it was almost like you were just flushing these, this poison out of your body for, you know, a simple way to describe it. How did it proceed from there? So that was the early stages. And I, and I think you've been on these now for the last six years, correct? These, these herbal tinctures. So yeah, walk us through that journey of how it progressed and how your health has improved to be where you are now. And and I mean, it seems like you've come a really long way in recovery. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, originally I got to a point where I was taking this, this medicine, you know, like three times a day. And he was like, this is good. The more your body can take of it, the better. And eventually you'll be able to go off of it. And I was like, awesome, sweet. So this is where things got a little iffy because, because of medical bills and because he was a natural doctor and he wasn't really covered by insurance, we would only go once I started to get better as necessary. We weren't going as often. And at one point I felt so good that I was like, you know what? I don't think I need this medicine anymore. I think that it's time for me to go off of it. So that was around, I'd say the end of 2014. Just a little side note, by then I had also figured out a way to start pursuing my acting career, which was pretty cool. But, um, Anyway, (laughs) that's not relevant. Um, But in 2015 was when I had decided to actually go off of the Lyme meds. That's what I call them, Lyme meds, but they're actually like the homeopathic remedy. And um, I I was doing great and feeling good. I can remember I started to feel like me again. I was like, this is great. I can start having fun with my cousins again. I can start taking them to Hershey Park and riding the rides and 
doing all the crazy stuff that we used to do. And then in 2016, September of 2016, something happened where, actually, no, I started to see the symptoms in June because I was 19 at this point and I was in a summer play. I was in Legally Blonde the Musical. And it was a very high intense, like high impact show. So we were like jump, jumping rope on stage and dancing and singing all at the same time. And that's very taxing on your body. And I can remember feeling like my heart was going to explode. And I got off stage and I couldn't catch my breath. And I started to have these symptoms over the next couple of months where I couldn't catch my breath after doing physical activity. And one day I was at the park with my cousins and um, I was walking, they were like 20 feet in front of me and I was walking like a snail. And I was like, guys, I gotta take you home. I can't breathe. So I took them home and I dropped them off and I got back to my house and we had, gone to an allergist by that point because I was having trouble breathing and they had prescribed me with a uh, inhaler. So I was taking the inhaler, but it wasn't doing anything for me. And, you know, I, I, I just kept letting it go, letting it go. And then by the time September hit, my grandmother went into the hospital to have a procedure done for her, her aortic valve replacement. And it was like eight in the morning, I think. They had brought her back from her procedure. They, we had to be in there at like, oh, dark hundred. They had brought, brought her back into the room from her procedure and they're taking care of her and everything, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, mom, I don't feel good. And she's like, okay, well then sit down. I sat down and I was thinking, okay, maybe I'm hungry. It, it was a, an early morning. So I can remember reaching for a, bag of mixed nuts that was on the windowsill of her of my grandma's hospital room and I pulled it to me and then everything went black and I said to my mom I see black and the next thing I know I'm opening my eyes I'm on the floor and my mom was screaming over top of me saying Amber Amber wake up Amber Apparently, after I said I see black, I had stood up and fallen flat onto the floor, floor. And when they turned me over, my eyes were wide open, my pupils were dilated, and I was turning blue. Um, I had, they, they were, so what they did was they picked me up, they put me on this gurney and they wheeled me down to the ER. Thankfully we were in a hospital, you know. Um, they wheeled me down to the ER and they start running all of these tests and my blood pressure was extremely low and they had no idea how to get it back up. They weren't able to get it back up. And um, so the doctor comes in and he's like, so do you have any symptoms of, you know, are you, are you, have you done drugs? Have you smoked? Are you pregnant? All of this kinds of stuff. 
and I was kind of like angry at that and like, um, what do I look like? I'm 19 years old, <laughs> but, uh, he, they ended up diagnosing me with vasovagular syncope, which is just a fancy word for an elevated heart rate. If you look it up and, um, I remember telling him that I had had Lyme disease and he didn't believe me. He was like, no, you don't have Lyme disease. What are you talking about? How can you not have Lyme disease? And I make uh, you feel Amber. I'm sorry to interrupt, but at that point, as a fellow Lyme, I'm enraged right now. Yeah. How did that make you feel? I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, um, okay, I know my body. Why do you not believe me? And granted, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in this world that are seeking attention, that go into the ER, that claim that they have things when they really don't. But I don't know. I feel like as a doctor, you should believe your patient regardless and just sit there and listen and be like, okay, well then, you know, if that's what you say, then let's see if this works, you know, as opposed to being like, what makes you think you have Lyme disease? <laughs> you know, it's like, um, well, if you check my chart, I was diagnosed with it in 2013. <laughs> so Amber, so. do you think the doctor was blowing you off because of your age, because of your gender, or because uh, he just didn't believe that there was such a thing as Lyme disease? I think because he just didn't believe that there was such a thing as Lyme disease. And he, he could have been like, oh, well, this is just a kid. She doesn't know what she's talking about, too. But I don't know. I, I wasn't inside of his head. And, you know, what, what, what other people think of me is none of my business. Because I think Deepak was the one that said that. So I'm like, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, when you were quoting the artist, it prompted me to bring you back to the place where you were during the time that you were using the tinctures and the various treatments that the naturopath was giving you, it seemed to me that it was working really well. Mm -hmm. uh, and because it was working so well, you were able to get back on your path to pursue your dreams uh, toward an acting career. Uh, but then you started to suffer some financial pressures uh, and you started to feel better. So you think you didn't think you needed it anymore. And then you crashed. I'd like to explore the pre-crash window where you were doing really well with your tinctures. And as a consequence of, of having a treatment protocol that was working for you, you were able to now pursue your career to the point where you had a breakthrough. Please share that part of your journey with us. Yeah, so um, I had actually started, um, I, I found this audition website, I think it was called projectcasting.com. And they're a production company or a casting company that you can go to that um, will cast you as a background extra in film and television. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a foot. That's a door. I'm going to stick my foot in it, you know? And um, I and my mom and I, I ended up submitting us both. And we got cast in um, Stephen King's Cell movie as a dead mother and daughter. And we got to lay in a pool of blood for like an hour and a half. It was the coolest thing ever. We got to like... Um, meet Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack and they like worked around us. So, but I mean that we had to go to Atlanta for that, but still that was 
a cool thing. And that was something that we just started doing heavily more and more over the next year and a half. We actually ended up spending an entire, almost an entire summer down there working on set of, um, I think it was, well, my mom worked on Insurgent. I worked on Allegiant. And we, we, we both actually ended up working on Allegiant. And it's cool because I can actually think back to that and remember that I was healthy enough to the point where I was actually running again. And I remember that there were these guys on set that I was talking with and that had become my friends. And they were like, um, whenever they would yell action, we were supposed to be running. And they were like, I bet I can beat you. And I'm like, oh, no, I can beat you. And I can remember running and actually like almost being like tied with them when we would run. So that was pretty awesome to have that back because that felt like it was almost normal again. That was back. That was like who I used to be was the girl who always used to be competitive with the guys and would be stronger than them and would like try and, you know, be stronger than them. So that was cool. So you had this breakthrough and you're traveling and you're, and you're pursuing your dream and then you get sick again. Now, do you believe that you got sick again because you were reinfected again? Or do you believe that you got sick again because the financial pressures associated with working with a doctor that wasn't covered by insurance caused you to believe that it was best for you and your family not to continue to pursue that course of treatment? I believe it was a combination of both. I wasn't, in, I wasn't infected again this time because he tested me. I was not reinfected. But um, he, that's why he, we call it a relapse because the summer, like in August, before that had happened in September, um, I was at the beach with my friend and we went into the water and I got stung by a jellyfish. And what my doctor later told me was that when I got stung by that jellyfish, it weakened my immune system and it caused my ant my antibodies or whatever was fighting the Lyme to go and focus on the jellyfish sting rather than my Lyme. And um, that was when I started to have more of the breathing issues because of that. Then this is the kicker that I didn't mention. I, when I was in the hospital, I had got a ginger tea and I was drinking ginger tea. Well, apparently Lyme disease had caused me to develop an allergy to ginger. And that was like the straw that had broke the camel's back because then that weakened my immune system again. And that was when it just kind of like shut down to reset everything. And um, we we learned this the next, because after I had passed out and I was discharged from the hospital with basically no diagnosis of what to do to get myself better, um, we contacted my natural doctor again and went to him and was like, hey, this happened. Uh, what, what do I do? You know, and um, he, he continued to have me be on the Lyme remedy. He told me, he put me back on it because at this point I was off of it. He put me back on it, but this time it was a much lower dosage because my body could not handle as much of a dose as it had in the beginning. And um, 
it's been kind of an uphill battle since that point. But um, I, yeah. <laughs> Amber, have you, after you had that allergy to ginger, did you do a full allergy panel to see what food and potentially environmental factors you're allergic to? I didn't. Um, I probably should have. But yeah, I did not do that. And I just know now to stay away from ginger. And my whole life, I've been allergic to everything anyway. I'm like the girl that belongs in the plastic bubble. So um, for me to be allergic to ginger, it, it's not like it was anything new. I'm allergic to dairy, you know, dust, dirt, mold, cats, grass, ragweed, oh. everything. Lyme disease can actually worsen pre-existing allergies that you've had before Lyme, and it can actually develop in something called MCAS, this mast cell activation syndrome that many of our guests have had, which is really just a severe allergy to the world, and it's an, it's an overactivation of your mast cells that create inflammation and, and histamines in your body. So do you think that your allergies worsened when you developed your Lyme disease? Hmm. I had no idea about that. Wow, that's very interesting. Um... I mean, I don't know. They could have. I can tell you that I wasn't allergic to ginger before the Lyme disease because my mom used to put it on our pork and we used to eat it on our pork. But um, I didn't really notice an increase in any of my previous allergies after being infected. So at this point now, you're, you're back with your natural doctor at a much lower dose of this, as you call it, Lyme med, right? Now... Yeah. From that point forward, it seems like you've just maybe gradually increased that dosage to get to the point where you are today. No, I never increased it. I'm still stuck at the same point. And that that was in 2016, and I have not been able to go up in four years. And how do you feel today? Because, you know, it's, it's very tricky with Lyme. As you notice, it's the invisible illness, right? People think you mm -hmm. look great, but you can feel horrible like you're dying on the inside. So you look great, but for our, our listeners and, and everybody watching – how do you feel today? I feel okay. I'm tired. And um, like, like I said, the area where I, I can't have people touch the back of my neck, that hurts. But um, other than that, you know, I really can't complain. I, I am so blessed. I could be so much worse off than I am today. And I'm not. So I'm very thankful. Have you been able to return to do any of the things that you were doing before your relapse? Maybe light exercise, going out and socializing, going to the beach, or reintroduce some things to your life that you couldn't do when you had that relapse? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, because I'm a singer-songwriter now, which is a completely different thing from what I was doing then, I don't have as much time to do things that are heavily active and I don't really have the desire to, if that makes sense. Um, but I do go hiking with my friends before all of the coronavirus thing started. I did go hiking with my friends and um, I did go to Zumba every now and then just to like keep my dancing skills in there. But um I'm still weak with that. Like I can only dance for like a song or two and then I have to sit for a song or two. You know, it's like a, a back and forth sort of thing. And I'm very fortunate because my, my dance teacher, she's like fantastic. She's like, oh yeah, I don't care. Do whatever you need to do. <laughs> so yeah. You did mention that you were having some really bad breathing issues, that you were on an inhaler. 
And to be a singer, obviously those, those symptoms would, would in, intervene with that. So I'm sorry, they, they interfere with that. So those symptoms seem to have improved to allow you to now be a singer songwriter, correct? Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's, it's, it's beautiful because I, I improve more every single day and I'm constantly singing. So for me to be able to like keep singing and have the, the lung capacity that I do now, I'm just, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I love like, you know, I thought that acting was where I wanted to be and I had no idea that singing would be something that I would love even more and writing music. Do you have your music published anywhere for those that are listening and want to check it out? Do you have a website? Do you have a Spotify account? Where can people go check out your music? Yeah, um, you guys can go to ambernadine.com. That's my website. And you can find pretty much everything from there. I do have an album on Spotify. It's called New Beginnings. And my song, Where I Want to Be, is actually a song that I wrote in 2016 when I was struggling with my Lyme disease and couldn't go out and do anything. I think when we first connected on Instagram and we met each other, I know we had listened to that song and I sent it to Rich and we were talking about this before we started the podcast. It was late at night and he wrote back just like, wow, I love this. So he he (laughs) loves your music. I can tell you that much. And I still remember that that was probably eight, nine, 10 months ago. So you're very talented. Uh, And I just just have one last question before I, I defer back to Rich. I know I'm dominating. I'm sorry, Rich. So many, many people we speak with have these relapses so they they return to almost normal life and then in, in the case like yours it was a financial burden so you felt let me come back off the medicine i'm doing better or in other cases people start to change their diet and introduce you know chocolate things of inflammation dairy and then they crash again so looking back what could you have done differently and what advice would you give to people to prevent a crash that haven't had it yet that are feeling better but just to sustain that good level of of health and not have that relapse or or a really bad crash like you had? Don't go off medicine. Like, I mean, unless your doctor says, okay, you are healed, you can go off of this, even then still be leery. But I would say, don't do what I did and think you're healed and go off of it for like a year and a half. Cause I was off of it. And not only was I off of it, but you know, like what you said, I was eating junk food. I was trying to be the girl that I was before this all happened. And you can't do that with Lyme disease because it builds the toxins up and it builds 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 and and then it explodes. So um, my advice would be, you know, if, if something's not working for you, definitely don't stay on it, on it, but don't completely go off of anything either. Keep searching for new things that might help it. Even if you're, you know, if you can't find a doctor that will work with you, you know, Google is our best friend in this day and age. Google things and try and figure out what's worked for other people. And, you know, if you feel safe enough to try it, just try a little bit of it and see how your body handles it. Um, Because you never want to go untreated. It's just not safe to do. So Amber, talk to us about how you pivoted from your acting pursuits to your songwriting pursuits and what role did Lyme play in that pivot in your career? Okay, so I pivoted from my acting because of a guy. Um, I was in a relationship in my senior year of high school and 
it was my first actual relationship and he ended up leaving me and breaking my heart. So I didn't feel like actually going and doing acting anymore. And I, you know, some people, whenever they go through a breakup, some people do different things. They dye their hair or they try to change who they are, or they try to like do something that isn't as safe or, you know, all these kinds of things. For me, what I found works, which I didn't know worked before having my heart broken, is writing. And I swear, after he left me, I think I probably wrote about 100 songs. I mean, not all of them were good, of course, but um, I found out that that was something that, you know, it's complete therapy for me. It's what helps get me through life. And... um, So when I found that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is where I'm meant to be. I'm not meant to be in acting. This is why it never worked out. You know, this is why I never got my foot in the door with film and televisions, uh, because I was meant to write songs and, you know, sing my problems to the world to help them with their problems. So what role do you believe Lyme disease played in you losing that romantic relationship. We've seen with many of our guests that um, romance rarely survives Lyme. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, we actually did a particular episode on a couple um, entitled, uh, Can uh, Romance Survive Lyme? And they were really the unique or the rare couple that was able to get through this experience. What role do you believe that Lyme played in, in ruining that, that relationship? And what role do you believe Lyme played in assisting you in making the pivot during this heartbreak from your acting to your songwriting career? So as for the relationship part, um, I think even now um, with just people in general that whether it's relationship wise or even just friendship, it's very hard to explain to whoever is in your life, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's, it's not something that's going to be beneficial to my health. You know, like if I've gotten better to the sense where I can walk, which is nice. I can go on hikes so I can do that with people. But, um, you know, when it comes to roller coasters, that that's very tough on me. I can't go to theme parks. I can't, um, eat certain foods. So it's very tough, especially eating out like, Hey, where do you want to go tonight? It's like, you know, we can't just go get pizza. We have to eat something, go somewhere where I'm going to be able to get food that's not going to cause a herx or something that's going to pull me back down. And I'm very fortunate in the fact that everybody that's in my life right now sympathizes and truly like wholeheartedly understands. And I'm grateful because there is a lot of times where I've had people that don't and they're no longer in my life. So, but um, as for pivoting from the acting to the songwriting aspect, I don't, I guess Lyme disease, I I don't really know how it's impacted it. You know, I, I just feel like that's where, what I was meant to do. And I feel like the Lyme disease has helped in the sense of I can actually use 
this to explain to people how I'm feeling because a lot of people that don't have Lyme disease don't understand it. But if I can write how I'm feeling into a song, it can kind of like make them feel a little bit more what I'm feeling regardless of whether or not they've experienced it. So you've now pivoted from a career where you're, you're acting to a career where you're now writing and singing so that you can help other people. Now, you're also reaching out on social media and you're being very raw about your experiences on social media. Can you share with us why you're doing that and how you're helping other people through the sharing of your challenging experiences? Yeah, so um, as a matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, I posted on April 22nd that it's been um, seven years since I recovered from anorexia. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And um, I posted progress pictures because that's something that I feel is important for people to see, you know, proof, you know, it's like, if you don't have proof these days, nobody's going to believe you. But um, I posted progress pictures and I specifically want to let everyone know that I don't do that because I want to pat on the back or because I want to be congratulated. I do it for that girl out there right now that is debating whether or not she should eat dinner. I do it for, you know, the boy that is struggling, even though, you know, people say that anorexia is a mostly woman's, you know, disease or I guess disorder, you would call it. And it's not, it it affects everybody because when you are sad, you handle things differently depending on who you are. And some people binge on food when they are sad. Some people don't eat when they're sad. And if you get into the habit of constantly being sad, you're going to constantly do something that is unhealthy to your body. And my goal in sharing this and just being raw and telling people my story is if it can help one person just one person, then that makes it all worth it. And I don't care about, you know, hiding it. I don't care about people being like judgmental. It's merely just there to inspire and to help. So. Well, thank you. And it is, it is really inspirational and it is really beautiful. And I, and I thank you for sharing as much as you do. Of course. I'm going to ask you to share one last thing with us before we go. And that is, um, you, you've, you've been very honest about the mistakes that you've made with your care and, and, and stopping care and, uh, and wanting to go back to being a normal kid, which, you know, breaks my heart that, you know, you, you, you know, you, you feel like it, there was something wrong with wanting to go back to being a normal kid and going on roller coasters and, and eating cotton candy and the other things that you were doing that, you know, that young kids, uh, customarily want to do. Um, but in the spirit of, of, of giving more Lyme hacks to folks, uh, I'm going to ask you the question we ask everyone else. And if, God forbid, tomorrow your mother came into your room and said, I was just bitten by a tick, what would you recommend to her so that she wouldn't have to go on the difficult parts of the journey you've had to go on during the course of your life? Um, well, <laughs> so my mom has been bitten by a tick, and we actually found it on her. And when my, mo- my dad and I found it on her, we we freaked out and we both were like trying to get it out of her so that it didn't like cause symptoms. 
I guess in general, what I would say to people is, you know, definitely don't wait to contact somebody, you know, contact your doctor, contact, if, if you're going to contact your doctor, just, you know, make sure they're going to believe you. If they don't believe you, contact somebody else, you know, don't let it slide. Don't let it go untreated because the longer it goes untreated, the more pain you're going to have, the more symptoms you're going to have and the harder time you're going to have recovering from it. So, um, yeah, I would just say, and, and don't let fear overpower you. Don't let fear give you a panic attack. Oh my gosh, I just found a tick on me. It's the end of the world. And what's going to happen? You don't know what's going to happen, but you can still go and get it looked at and put your faith in God or whatever higher power you believe in and know that ultimately it is going to be okay. So would it be fair to sum up your final Lyme hack as make sure you go to a doctor who is Lyme literate and then make mm -hmm. sure you listen to him or her so that you are able to achieve the outcome that's best for you? Correct. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Amber Nadine. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Amber Nadine, please visit her Instagram page at AmberNadine1. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint, which has been inspired by the information that's been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We'd appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.